15 verses 1 through 7. And you can listen as I read them. Every person is to be in subjection to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except from God. And those which exist are established by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authority has opposed the ordinance of God. And they who have opposed will receive condemnation or judgment upon themselves. For rulers are not a cause for fear for good behavior, but for evil. Do you want to have no fear of authority? Do what is good, and you will have praise from the same. For it is a, for it is a minister of God for you or to you for good. But if you do what is evil, be afraid. For it does not bear the sword for nothing. For it is a minister of God, an avenger who brings wrath on the one who practices evil. Therefore, it is necessary to be in subjection, not only because of wrath, but also for conscience sake. For because of this, you also pay taxes. For rulers are servants of God, devoting themselves to this very thing. Render to all what is due them, tax to whom taxes due, custom to whom custom, fear to whom fear, and honor to whom honor. Let's pray. Our Father in God, we do want to pray for Shala right now and ask that you would encourage her as a mom and her husband as well. We thank you that the child was born safely and pray for the continued development of that child. And we know, Lord, that every child is a gift from God. And we pray your rich blessing on them and that we just rejoice in how you bring her through and the child through this situation. We thank you for this opportunity to reflect on our nation's independence and our independence and to be challenged from the Word of God. And Father, there's no doubt in my mind that right in this audience there can be believers who because of the conditions in our governments, because of the conditions in our society, because of the conditions with particular politicians, may just tune out to their responsibilities to you, to the responsibilities that we have. And Father, unfortunately, we as believers can become poor testimonies because of the way we even think about or speak about our leaders. So Father, use this message with each one of us, starting with myself, as we are challenged from the Word of God. Help us to hear from you that you might use it, that we might also influence and impact others. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Please be seated. Government and the believer. Today, obviously, we are celebrating our country's independence. There are cookouts. There are fireworks that have already taken place and will continue to go on. We are enjoying, without question, no matter what our condition is, we are enjoying our freedoms and privileges as an American citizen. And for those who may be even in this room and in our presence who are not American citizens, you are still, if not enjoying it as an American citizen yet, you are enjoying these freedoms and privileges as a person who is currently residing, whether alone or with somebody you're visiting with, residing in the United States of America and you're afforded these privileges while you are here. Unfortunately, in my opinion, things have become so clouded and so confused in our world, theologically, religiously, politically, and socially, because of man's philosophy, because of sin, and because of our own biasnesses, that we fail to understand where things have come from and where they have gone. Who are we as a people? 
Who are we as a nation? What are our biblical responsibilities? What are the biblical responsibilities of those who rule? All of this in accordance with a sovereign God and His plan. So what we will attempt to do today in one message is address all of that right. We will. And hopefully challenge our own hearts and minds. What are we? Well, first of all, we are the United States of America. We are a nation. And though it may be hard for you, many of you, maybe all of you, maybe just some of you, I'm not sure exactly where your thinking is, we need to realize the reality of everything. First of all, we are a nation that was born out of the American Revolution. Though that may not be new to you, this may be an offense to you. We are a nation that was born in violation of the Scriptures. When we understand the biblical mandates of responsibility, while God, without question, in spite of our disobedience or the disobedience of our forefathers, and has unquestionably blessed this nation and continues to do so, we need to realize that the nation was born out of rebellion. The nation was born out of violation to the very verses that I have just read to you. I'm not here to amplify that in great detail because we'd spend the whole message on it. But you will see it if you pay attention to the passages of Scripture. Secondly, we are a federal constitutional republic. Now, many of you may have forgotten that from your school days. In our very Pledge of Allegiance are the words, and to the republic for which it stands. We are one nation under God, indivisible, right? But we are a republic. What does that mean? It simply means this, in case we've forgotten it. As the United States of America and as a nation, we are a constitutional republic, a federal constitutional republic, which means that the head of state, our leaders, and our officials are representatives of the people of America. And it further means, because it is a federal constitutional republic, as formed, that they must, as heads of states, this is not yet biblical, it's just what we are, they must, as heads of state, as leaders and officials, govern our nation according to the existing constitutional laws, which limits their power over the citizens of the United States of America. I think all of our leaders need to hear that. Third, we are a presidential republic, meaning that our leader of our nation is called the president. And while he, and sh he or she, in this case he, as it's always been so far, has certain privileged constitutional powers, these powers are not absolute. Fourth, just our background. Our structure of our nation currently is in this form. As we well know, we have 50 independent, yet united, by our statement, states. 50 independent states, yet we are united. We have one federal district or capital. And for those of you who have forgotten, what that means is there is one district that is under the control completely of the federal government. That is the District of Columbia. We know it as Washington, D.C. In addition to our 50 states and our one federal district, we have several territories. Those territories, or political divisions, 
are overseen, though there are many breakdowns that I will not bore you with. There is such things as incorporation, non-incorporation, unorganized, organized, and different divisions when you come into territories. But those are territories that are governed and under the federal government. And they are in the Pacific, in case we've forgotten, and in the Caribbean. For example, and I won't give you all of them, though I have looked up all of them and paid attention, Guam, Puerto Rico, the Virgin Islands, and even as small as Guantanamo Bay, technically, is a territory, though it is in Cuba. That is the structure of our government. But I want to remind us right now, having said those things, that we are not the only form of government that, first of all, exists. Nor is this type of government that we have mandated in Scripture. It is not mandated in Scripture. Nor is it the type of government that should be over all the nations of the world. Nowhere in Scripture does it say that. And yet, many times, the way we do things, we feel that's the way it should be done every place else. Well, that leads us into really what I want to get into. That's just some brief background that you well know, but to remind you of it. And that is, what is the source of authority? Where does it come from? Where is government's source of authority? I'd like you to open your Bibles to the book of Genesis. We'll be there for a couple of minutes. And let me start by saying this. It all starts with, and it will eventually all end with. It starts this way, and it will end with this. What? A theocracy. A theocracy, not a republic. We often say democracy. I understand. But that is not what you find in Scripture. What you find in Scripture is the concept of a theocracy. That is Genesis 1.1, well known to each one of you. But lest we forget, let's remember what it says. In Genesis chapter 1 and in verse 1, it says, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. God is absolutely sovereign over all of the affairs of man. No one nation. It is God that is in charge. It is God that designed things that way. I will not have you turn there, but according to Psalm 24, verse 1, which I will quote, this I think is a good summarization of what we're talking about here. In that first verse of Psalm 24, it says this, The earth, that's our earth where we live, is the Lord's. Okay? And all, meaning all. Not complicated. It means all. All that it contains. What does that mean? The world and all those people who dwell in it and animals, and insects, mosquitoes, black flies, greenhead, some of the summer pestilence that we suffer through. God owns it all, and we need to come back to that. God is the one that's sovereign. Men have lost that in confusion. Men have clouded the issues today with various forms of government, thinking that this is the only way, that's the only way. The real only way is a theocracy. God ruling over all. Secondly, God created man. We know that from Genesis chapter 1 again. You look at verse 26 and it says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image according to our likeness and let them rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over the cattle and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps upon the earth. And God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him male and female. He created them. It is repeated in chapter 2. Point being, God is over all. He created man. He created man uniquely. 
that wipes out a lot of the political correctness, the ecological debates, the debates medically and so forth that you and I all face. Man was created uniquely by God. How? In God's own image and likeness. Male and female, that was all part of God's design. He created us uniquely. We are not like the trees. We are not like the frogs. We are not like the greenheads. We are not like the mosquitoes. We are not like the black flies or any dinosaur or monkey that you want to talk about. There may be some similarities, but only we were created in the image and the likeness of God. Next, you notice from that passage that man was given a tremendous responsibility. By God's design, He designed man to rule on or in behalf of God. God is the one with the theocracy who established and gave authority to men in the first place. God gave us the responsibility to manage, if you will, or to rule over that which He created, very simply put. Can't get any more basic than that. However, as we well know, man has refused God's authority. That is Genesis chapter 3. You can turn there. I won't read the verses to you. But in Genesis chapter 3, we see that though God is sovereign, though God has given man responsibility to rule and to manage that which he's created, man rebelled against the holy God, did not want to obey regarding the tree that he restricted them from, and man fell. That's again as basic as you can get. So we have the fall, and because of the fall in Genesis chapter 3, two very important things happened. Sin entered into the world. It wasn't through Satan. Sin entered into the world. The Scriptures are clear. It entered in through one man's sin. Entered into the world, according to Romans. Sin entered into the world, and death through sin. So that all have to experience now death. Both spiritually and physically. So when you go all the way back, under the theocracy, man's refused that. And what has happened since then, as you progress through Genesis, you find out that through a cataclysmic flood, God wiped out man with the exception of one family. And it was Noah who found grace in the eyes of the Lord, not Noah who boldly boasted and decided that he was going to stick around. God destroyed his creation, he who is a theocracy and wants to rule by theocracy, and basically what he has done is had to wipe out man because every imagination and intent of his heart, you want a picture of the way you and I are? Look in the mirror and concentrate on that verse. The thoughts and the intents of the heart continually are evil. They're self-centered, etc., etc. As a result of that flood, I brought you all the way back to that, because turn with me now to Genesis chapter 9. Genesis chapter 9. It is out of that that governments, literally, biblically, were born. Now, I know where theology sometimes goes with Babel and all of that stuff and everything else, but it really goes back to chapter 9 of Genesis. How do we know that? I'll give it to you quick. In chapter 9, verses 1 through 6, follow along. After the flood, it says, And God blessed Noah and his sons and said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. That hasn't changed. And the fear of you and the terror of you will be upon every beast of the earth and every bird of the sky and every creep, everything that creeps upon the ground and all the fish of the sea. And in your hand they are given. That hasn't changed. Every moving thing that is alive shall be for food for you. I give all to you as I gave the green plants. No debate here. If you want to just eat plants, that's up to you. But biblically, we are not in the Garden of Eden. In verse 4, we go on. Only you shall not eat flesh with its life, that is, its blood. Surely I will require your life blood for every beast, 
I will require it. For from every man, for every man's brother, I will require the life of a man. Verse 6. Whosoever sheds man's blood by man, his blood shall be shed. Why? Here's why. Here's why if you commit murder, capital punishment is correct in spite of the confusion in our world today. If you go hunting and kill a deer, eat it. You don't want to eat it, give it to someone else to eat. However, you go and kill a man, there is a death penalty. Why? Here's the reason, verse 6. For in the image of God, the very first thing that we found, image of God, He made man. Simply put, we see that this is where God instituted into the heart of man and into the hand of man the sword so that he could be delegated to now regulate by what we call civil government or rule. And in case you don't think that's so, turn with me to just one more verse of Genesis chapter 10 and look at verse 32. Then we'll go back to Romans. In verse 32 it says, these are the families of the sons of Noah. I didn't go through all of those names because I have trouble pronouncing them as well as you do unless you're really uh, an expert with language. But what it says there is these are the families of the sons of Noah according to the genealogies by their what? Nations. And out of these, the nations were separated on the earth after the flood. The nations were separated after the flood and into the hand of Noah was given the sword while, why? To rule over the nations that now have been formed. And that occurred after the flood. They did not disperse the way they should have, etc., etc. God took care of it. The conclusion of what I'm trying to say to you is all authority of, over government, over the rule of man, regardless of what its structure is, came from God. God is the ultimate. God is the one who desires to rule over man out of man's rebellion God has not only allowed him to rule over creation, but now over one another and be given the sword to execute when appropriate because of violation of the, the rules of God. So all authority for government comes from God. Now go back to Romans and go to Romans chapter 13. That's all background. So where does it come? It comes from God. That hasn't changed. We see it in our text. But let me do this. It's interesting because as we come into our text in Romans chapter 13, before we get there, I want you to notice what happened in Romans chapter 12. Just three quick verses. In Romans chapter 12, in verse 17, he was conducting illustrations and commands and in other situations what man was to do as a believer. And you notice what he says in verse 17. Never pay back evil for evil to anyone. And so the instruction to individuals were, you never take evil into your own hands and deal with it one-on-one. -on -one. He then told them in verse 19, look at it, never take your own revenge, beloved, but leave room for the wrath of God, for it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay. So never am I as an individual to pay evil for evil. Never, never am I as an individual to take vengeance on anyone. And how do I then live and how do I overcome everything? Verse 21, you've heard this from me many times. I believe summarizes everything that's in front of it. In verse 21, he says, don't overcome, e overcome the overcome by evil, but overcome evil, how? What's the last two words? With good. How do you overcome an evil government? How do you overcome evil with individuals? It is always with good. Always. And we lose sight of that. It is that that leads into chapter 13. And if you want, because I won't be able to deal with them, there are four major texts in our New Testament that deal with government and civil authorities. They are Romans 13, 1 Peter chapter 2, which we had as the response of reading, 1 Timothy chapter 2, the first four verses, and Titus chapter 3, verses 1 through 11. There again, Romans 13, 1 Peter 2, 1 Timothy 2, 1 to 4, and Titus 3, 1 to 11. In our immediate text, I want you to continue to see that in chapters 13, 1 through 7, we see the same thing that we've already learned. 
Their authority comes from God. Notice, God ordained them. He appointed them, verse 1. I'll deal with the subject too in a minute. For there is no authority except from God. And those which exist are established by God. Whether that's communism, whether it is a republic such as we have, God is the one who has established them. He is the one who has appointed them. That does not mean you can't vote and so forth. We'll deal with that in a second if we can. But I want you to notice in verse 2 and 3, it says this. Do not be... Con- uh, co- oh, wrong passage, sorry. Uh, in chapter 13, verse 2. Therefore, whoever resists authority has, is opposed to the ordinance of God. Why? They who have opposed will receive uh, condemnation upon themselves. Verse 3. For rulers are not a cause for fear for good behavior. These have been appointed by God. They are the authorities of God. They are the rulers of God. They are the powers, if you look back at the the actual word usage there. In other words, whether it's a king, a president, a governor, a local township, a senator, police, whatever it is, these are people that God has allowed to be in power according to this passage, according to the First Peter 2 passage, and according to the Timothy passage. They are there because God has allowed them to be there. Further, third point, is they are ministers of God. Look at verse 4. For it is, it, that is the institution, is a minister of God. Now we'll deal with the for good in a minute. We need to understand that. You might not like a particular president. You might not like a particular governor. You might not like a particular senator. But they, and under the structure of whatever government you are living, they are the ministers of God. The servants, literally, of God. Thus, they are put there by God, they're given authority by God, and they are the ministers of God, whether they know it or not. If they are abusing their power, it doesn't matter. They will answer to God. But whether a senator, a president, a police officer, a ruler as a king or a queen in another country, or whatever it might be, a dictator... They are ministers of God and will answer to Him. They were allowed to rise up. Uh, he takes Him down. And that's according to Daniel chapters 2, 4, and 5. God raises people up, even in dictatorships. And He puts them down. If you are given the privilege of voting, you vote. But God's in control. And if you don't think this is a biblical illustration, just look at Matthias. There is no debate as to who the other apostle is. They simply took stones. They did what they were supposed to do. They took the lots and God directed it and Matthias was selected. Paul is a unique apostle all by himself. God is the one that raises them up. That's number one. They are God's authority. Secondly, what about the responsibility of government? And I'm going to end with our responsibility because I want us to see that. There are basically three responsibilities that government have according to this text in Romans. Number one, They are to recognize that they are responsible to God. All governments. Now, they might not do that. A president might not do that. A senator might not do that. A police officer might not do that. A fireman might not do that. A town elected position might not do that. But it doesn't change the fact that they are responsible to God. Verse 1 says that. For there is no authority except from God. Those which exist are established by God. Whatever the government is. Whatever the structure is. Verse 4 again, I read it already. For he is a, or it is a minister of God. That whole institution is there to minister on behalf of God. That's why I went back to Genesis. Did you get the connection yet? In Genesis, God ruled over. He allowed man to manage. And then after man's rebellion in the flood, he still allowed God to, God allowed man to Manage, but now he gave them the sword. So whatever government forms, whatever nations, as they began to get scattered by God, they would be ruling in behalf of God and responsible to him. They are not to serve their own interests. And unfortunately, I know I'm not naive, 
Many, many officials are in government to, to serve their self-interests. They are not there to serve him. They are to serve with humility. According to Proverbs 16, it says it is an abomination for kings to commit wicked acts. Can't be any clearer. But God's going to be the one to hold them responsible. God. So they need to recognize that they are responsible to God. If they want to choose to take God out of a nation, for example, a communist nation wants nothing to do with God, or as we are in America, they begin to take a Bible out, begin to take prayer out, begin to take God out, their ruling, they will stand responsible for that because they are responsible to God. Second responsibility that they have, and again, I wish they would hear this, is found in verses 3 and 4. They are to enforce the laws of the land. As I already said, in this government, they're responsible to carry out the Constitution of the United States. That's what they formed, a federal republic. They are to enforce the laws of the land. You notice in verses 3 and 4, it says for, whoop, again back in 12, I keep going back to it, but in verse 3, for rulers are not a cause for fear for good behavior, but for evil. Do you want to not have fear for authority? Do what's good. Verse 4, for he's a minister of God for you for good. But if you do evil, be afraid. Why? For it does not bear the sword for nothing. Why? He's the minister of God. He's the one that avenges. Chapter 12 says, don't you avenge. Chapter 12 says, don't take things into your hands. But I've established governments to do that. And they can do it on my behalf. So they have the responsibilities to enforce the laws of the land. Not political correctness, which they do. They are not to be concerned about world views. Now, I know we're living in a, a world in which you've got to be aware of what's going on in other countries. But in no government structure, I don't care whether it's in the African countries, I don't care whether it's in Europe, I don't care whether it's the United States of America. Those countries are not to govern with the concept of the world view. Those offices are ministers of God, whatever the capacity is that they're in, and they are responsible for whatever government is there to carry out the laws of those governments. What are they? They're to restrain evil. All governments have that responsibility, whether they recognize it or not. And, secondly, to promote good. Every government official has the responsibility to promote that which is good and to oppose that which is evil. We have long gone away from that all over the world. They Next, have you ever seen this happen? Very rarely. They are to praise those who do good. Our government officials have the responsibilities to bring someone in front of the public not because it will advance their political agenda, but they have the responsibilities to bring before the nation people who are exemplary of that which is good and hate that which hates evil. That's what the government is going to be held responsible for and the officials, of bringing forth people to be praised, verse 3. And whether they change it or not, like they continuously do in this country, the fourth aspect is enforcing the laws means they are to punish evildoers. You should be afraid of going to jail if you violate the laws of the land. You deserve a ticket when you speed. You deserve a ticket when you don't renew your license because that's the law of the land. And that's what should happen. Everyone, Christian, non-Christian alike. And so we should have a healthy fear for them because they're supposed... Now, what happens if they don't exercise it? It doesn't matter. That's their responsibility. I'll deal with our responsibility quickly. The third thing is, and it's not in this passage, it's in Timothy, but I'll mention it to you. The primary responsibilities are they need to recognize their responsibility to God. Secondly, the responsibilities to enforce the laws of the land. And third, to protect its citizens. That's what it's that's where war comes in. And you will find that all the way back in the Old Testament and the New Testament. They are to protect us so that we are at peace among ourselves. They are to enforce whatever is necessary to protect the citizens. That's why when a war is declared, no one likes war. No one likes death. 
You would not be here if it wasn't for war, by the way. If people didn't sacrifice their lives. No one wants to see a soldier killed. But there is a situation where the government needs to realize if it's going to protect the citizens that I am responsible for, it is correct. And I need to protect it and exercise that peace. Let me get to what I really want to get to. That's a lot of background and so forth. And you say, but then we just get the end of the message. Yes, let me remind you of some things. What is our responsibility to government? There are basically six, and here they are. Number one, you know it, verse one of chapter 13. Every person, what does that say? Repeat it. Every person, literal translation, every soul. Believer, unbeliever, makes no difference. Every person, every soul is to submit. Does that mean to any form of government? Yes, it does. Every person is to submit to the form of government that is over to them. If the form is republic or communist, whatever you're under, you should submit. I'll deal with the violation of Scripture in a moment that everybody's thinking about right now. You're also to submit to every level. That means a president, a king, or a governor, or a senator, or a town councilor. They are the ones that in our government have been elected to those positions, and God will hold us responsible for submitting to them. And it doesn't matter what the quality is. So it's any form, it's any level, and it's any quality. If they are good or they are atheistic, makes no difference whatsoever as far as the position that God's allowed them to be in at the time. God allowed, let me just give you a very quick example, God allowed Nebuchadnezzar to rule over Daniel. And the only time Daniel, uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego spoke up is when it violated the law of God. Other than that, they did what Nebuchadnezzar said. And by the way, Rome was in power when Christ was on the earth and God paid taxes. He submitted to the Roman government except when it violated his kingdom. Whatever it is, whatever level. Whether good, whether oppressive. Why? Why do I need to submit? Let me tell you why. Because it's commanded in this passage. Because it's ordained of God. Because if we resist the government, you look at it. You resist God. Plain and simple. If you oppose their authority, you have opposed the ordinance of God. Verse 2. You ought to be subject because of judicial sentencing. That is, they have the ability to even execute. If a believer commits murder, a believer should be put to death according to the Scriptures. Now, I know we have laws and so forth. Whatever the laws are, we abide by them. So if you eliminate the death penalty, it's gone. Fine. But if there's a death penalty in place, whether believer or unbeliever, you violate it and you've taken man's blood, that government has the authority to take your life. Now, if the government's changed their laws, then that government won't do it. That's their responsibility before God. And also, though I've gone over it very quickly, for conscience sake, and that is your conscience before God, verse 5. That's why you to submit. Secondly, I told you the six. The second one's in verse six, and we all love it. Because of this, pay your taxes. Great. I've got federal taxes, state taxes, taxes when I go to buy food, taxes when I go to buy clothes, big taxes in this state, big taxes in that state. Other when you go to California, pay the ten percent, eleven percent, whatever it is now. It keeps going way up. When you're in Florida, pay that one. When you're in New Hampshire and they say no taxes, don't be fooled. There's all kinds of taxes in New Hampshire. You just don't have an income tax. That's all. When you come to Massachusetts, pay the income tax. Whatever it is. Why? Because that's what is there. It has been a means in Scripture of providing for leaders. It has been a means of maintaining order and providing for that. And it's been a means, if you study the Scriptures, for the taxes were meant to improve the society which within which we live. And that's what we find in our society. It's supposed to be to pay the leaders. It's supposed to be to maintain the order. 
That's the police system and everything else. And it's supposed to be to improve, and that's capital improvements in the various areas. That's what it is. So you're supposed to pay your taxes. Third, fear their position. Fear their position, verse 4. Why? Because you and I know that they individually and it collectively is the minister of God. That's the instrument that God has established. All too often, we don't see that among Christians, to be frank. The fear of government and the way we talk about government is disgraceful. And I'm guilty of it sometimes as well. That leads us to the fourth one. So one, submit. Two, pay your taxes. Third, fear their position. Four, and here's where that last one comes in. Honor them, verse 7. Honor to whom honor. You say, well, I don't want to honor this particular president because he doesn't do that which is right. You have no right to take that position as a Christian. That person has been allowed to rule this country. You may not agree with the person. You don't have to agree. You may not think that they're doing it right biblically, and that's the correct position to take if you feel that that's the way. But if you don't honor that person, if you disgrace that person, if you talk about, to be very blunt about it, President Obama in a way that's dishonoring, you stand guilty before God in the way you are conducting yourself as a Christian. Regardless of what he does or any president under which I've lived does, gives me no right to disfame that position. None whatsoever. Even if he violates the laws of God. And if you don't see that, look at what he said in our responsive reading when he talked about servants. Even to those who are oppressive and wrong, you do what's right. Too often, we see wickedness among believers right there. Fifth, I think we're weak here. I think I'm weak here. And that is pray for them. That's what we should be doing. Pray for them. First Timothy chapter 2 makes that very clear. And I believe that context, when he says who would have all men to be saved, when you put that in the context of Timothy, I believe he's talking about the fact because they needed to understand God would even have the Roman soldiers to be saved. And even those who are ruling over you. Because they looked at it as these are the ones that are killing Christians. You pray for them. I believe the early Christians, some of them prayed for Paul, who was known as Saul. I believe many of them probably talked behind corners. Do you see what that Sadducee's like? Do you see what he's like? He's a bum. He's a whatever. He's a, and others had the, the spiritual sense about them not to do that and prayed. And you know what happened to the Apostle Paul? You do. He got struck down on the Damascus Road and in my personal opinion is one of the most exemplary Christians for us to look at and follow in Scripture. A man that hated Christians. The power of prayer. Pray for your officials. Let me ask you and don't raise your hand. When is the last time you or I prayed, not just for the president, but our senators. Could you name your senators? Could you name your representatives? Can you name your town counselors? Then how in the world are you praying for them? We, as believers, are commanded to pray for all that are in authority. Sixth, and it's the last one. You are to resist them, but only when they violate the direct commands of God. And you have many scriptural examples. When they call upon you to bow down and worship them, you don't do it. That's Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. You draw the line. If they ask you to pay taxes, you have no right to say, I have no biblical responsibility to say that. You do have a biblical responsibility. Pay your taxes. This president had an affair with so, so, and so on, and so on, and they have immorally discredited themselves. They shouldn't be in that position, but you have no right to look at them and say they're no longer my president. They are your president. Pray for them. 
That's what you have a responsibility to do. But if they cost, and that's what you find if you want the references because I've run out of time. In Acts chapter 4 and Acts chapter 5, we are called and we see that example. Who am I to obey? God or man? And all too often, Christians use the Scriptures wrongly to abuse the names, the positions of leaders that are over them. That is no excuse whatsoever. If they come to you and say, as is the condition in China, you are to abort that child because there is no more room for any of, what is it, female? If I had it right, the females are the ones there. Okay? You have no, then you say, that violates the law of God. I cannot do that. But I will still honor you as a king, but I won't do that. When they say to you, if they say to you, that it is okay to redefine the family other than what's in the Scripture, I'm sorry, I will not abide by that rule. That's in direct violation of creating male and female. That is in direct violation of what a marriage is to represent and that is the church of Jesus Christ, I will not honor that, but I will still honor you, not because of your name, but because of your position. Big difference. Big difference. And I'll conclude with this. I've run out of time. None of this can happen apart from the gospel of Jesus Christ. Bottom line. To recognize that God is sovereign over everything when you're under a government that's oppressive. You can't do that apart from the gospel of God. He's got to change your heart. Our normal flesh wants to rebel against all authority that's over us, no matter who it is. Our flesh wants to rebel against the things of God and the principles of God. And apart from the gospel getting into our Apart, I tell you this, apart from the gospel getting into my heart, I wouldn't be standing in this pulpit preaching this way. I would have been picketing like in the 70s all over again. That should go out the window. That's not the way to change things. The second part is not only the gospel, but walking with God. The only way I can possibly respect and honor, the only way I can possibly submit to, the only way I can possibly pray for, the only way I can possibly resist under the right circumstances is if God's got a hold of my heart and I'm walking with God the way that I should. I may not agree with the policies of the town of Methuen, but I have no right to dishonor the counselors. None whatsoever under the mind of God. I'll answer for that because they've been put there by God. I'm not praying for them. I'll answer for that. And what, what are you saying, Pastor Dan? We're going to see punishment in hell? No, you know me better and you know what we're talking about. Loss or reward. You see, we can discredit Christianity so often. It should be that as we're among our neighbors, and let's just say the United States of America, we've reviewed with you this morning a lot of history, in case you didn't catch it, of how God was looked to, prayer came in, churches, chaplains, all of that. We did that for a purpose. I do believe our political leaders have lost that. But I do believe also the people of America have lost that. And I believe Christians have lost that. And we're not doing what we're supposed to be doing. You know, the idea is not social change in government. We want a better world to live in and a better United States of America. I'm going to tell you something. We don't deserve a better nation. We don't even deserve the freedoms that we have. And what we ought to be concentrating on is not social change in our government or not even worrying about who the next person is to be elected. We ought to pray about that. But we ought to be worried about soul change. We ought to be out there witnessing as testimonies for Christ and being seen as believers who do God, do good. As believers who want to see other people come to Christ and as believers who respect that goes right into the family, does it not? Of course. My parents didn't handle me right, and 
my parents didn't do this or their parents didn't, so they acted that way. That is no excuse for a Christian. You're to do what's right and you're to honor your mother and your father regardless of how they were. And that's not easy. And it's also true in the government. So, as we leave today, rejoice. Be thankful that we have a federal republic. Be thankful that we have the freedoms. Go out and celebrate with fireworks. Come tonight with your sparklers or whatever. Have a good time. That's wonderful. But let us be exemplary Christians in the nation, in our neighborhoods. Daniel and his friends, to go back to them, were examples in a nation that pulled them out of their families, out of the government that God had established for Israel, out of that, under kings and rulers who were abusive. Daniel, by the way, was a eunuch because he was made that way by the leader of that nation. And he submitted. He submitted to that leadership except when it would violate his conscience before God. And even then, he approached them with respect. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, before they went into the fire, said, O king, with respect, whether our God will save us or whether he will let us perish, I don't know. But if it comes down to bowing down to you, I cannot do that because you are not my God. They did it with respect. And God protected them. Let us live in this nation with all of its flaws, with all of its things that are wrong, from a Christian perspective, with submission, paying our taxes, being exemplary, if you will, among honoring them, and living for the glory of God. Let's close in prayer. Our Father in God, I pray that you'd just challenge my own heart. There are so many times, I have to be honest, that even according to Ephesians, my speech is not what it should be because it's not wholesome speech regarding the government or our officials. And yet, Father, you command the Christian, let no unwholesome speech proceed out of our mouth. Because of the sin that we see dominant, it grieves our heart and we know it grieves yours. But it gives us no reason to not honor our leaders. Father, we thank you for those that have come before us. We thank you that you've given us a nation in which we can enjoy the freedoms that we have. In which we can enjoy proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ freely. And yes, it is true that that might be taken away from us one day. But help us to be faithful to you and know where to draw the line biblically. Not based upon the philosophy of man. Not based upon the whims of man or whatever type of government we're under. But based upon the authority of the word of God. Bless us and help us to live for the glory of God as we leave here. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.